Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. I've had uh, a lot of fun in this series studying and trying to figure out what God wants to teach us about postures of worship. Many of us come from a very, very traditional background, and it's, it's kind of strange to, um, to use your body to worship. We use our minds sometimes. Sometimes our minds drift, right? Uh, <clears throat> but a couple of weeks ago, we talked about lifting holy hands to God. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen as I walked up on stage after both services and people that I know in, at least in, since they've been here have never raised their hands to God before. It was very powerful. The next week we talked about bringing our gifts, how the, how's the wise men traveled 900 miles, several months, uh, to get to Jesus. And, and when they got there, they bowed down and they opened up their treasure chest and they offered him the best that they had. Last week, we talked about pouring out our hearts before God, and, and so many of you wrote comments on your cards, or you talked to me later, and you said you didn't know that you had permission from God to just let it fly, to tell him how you felt, and many of you were bottling up. I, I told you you were bitter because you've never allowed yourself to just be totally honest before God and say, God, my life sucks. God can handle that. And we looked at the, the Psalms and we, we've seen where David did that, where other people in the scripture, Jeremiah did that. It's okay to pour out your heart before God. Today, we're finishing up this series and we're going to talk about bowing down. We're going to talk about kneeling before God. Probably the most humbling experience is when you bow before God. Um, we're going to pick up the Christmas story as we have each week in, in Matthew chapter two. And this time we're going to talk about the wise men as they're following. You remember they saw the star, they followed the star as it moved, they kept moving. Uh, when it stopped, they, they stopped and it suddenly stopped. And when it stopped, we'll just turn the, uh, we'll just turn the sound up. We'll just keep going over that rain. When it stopped in verse 10, here's what it says. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, if you've been traveling for months, chasing a star and the star finally stops, you'd be happy too. But it's not just the fact that it stopped, it's what it represented. They believed that star was going to lead them to the Savior of the world. So look at verse 11. They were overjoyed, and it, it just spilled out in verse 11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, usually we picture, when the wise men get there, we picture them bowing down to a two-day-old, four-day-old, two-week-old baby Jesus. But that's not the case. Why do we do that? Because every Christmas card that you've ever seen, they come in and they're bowing down to the baby. But, but we, we believe he was about two years old when he got there. So when we did our, um, live nativity last week with, with Jaime and Kelsey and, and Josiah, Josiah is about the right age that Jesus would have been. It's pretty funny. He wanted to wave. He wanted to sit in the manger. And then of course he wanted to go on the hayride too. So Jesus went on the hayride with us. 
But I want you to remember that they traveled a long time. It took them a long time to get there. So we think he was about two years old. And if you've heard the whole Christmas story, you know that, that when the wise men came, they asked Herod, where's the one who was born king of the Jews? Told you about Herod, why that freaked him out. And Herod lies to them and he says, well, I don't know, but when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may worship him too. Well, Herod was a big fat liar. And we know that later in scripture, it tells us that. So then the wise men leave. He's no help. They follow the star. They find Jesus. And, and then... We're told that the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. God said, don't go back to Herod. So they didn't. Now we pick it up in verse 16. Look how Herod reacted. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, how many of you have a two-year-old right now? You are currently raising a two-year-old. All right. How many of you remember when your kids were two years old? What do we call it? The terrible twos, right? Okay. How many of you um, have ever been around a two-year-old? All right. I think I've got, I've got everybody. Now, does being around a two-year-old inspire you to worship them? Don't get me wrong. Somebody said kind of. The only reason we worship them and give them gifts is when we want them to shut up, right? I mean, let's be real honest. We'll give them anything. You want a car? You want to go to Vegas? I don't know. Go to Hawaii. Anything to get them to shut up, right? It does not inspire worship. And I, I, re- I heard one comedian, he, he referred to two-year-olds as little tiny crackheads. Because their clothes are always jacked up. They always have stuff all over them. They've got no teeth. And they look drunk all the time, right? And they will lie to you. Oh, will they lie to you. Caleb... When he was in his twos, he picked up something, threw it, and smacked Rachel in the head. And I said, did you just throw that at your sister? I saw you. I'm going to bust you anyway. They'll lie to you. you know, they're, they're just, all of, all of this to say, none of that inspires worship. And so this is like a second miracle of the Christmas story that they bowed down and worshiped a two-year-old. That's all I was going for there. Now, kneeling in our culture is something that, that's very, very uh, uncomfortable for most of us. It's not, not something we do. It's kind of like the raising hands. Um, it's not something that we've, we've done. It pushes us out of our comfort zone. And kneeling, guys, maybe twice, maybe twice in your life, you'll, you'll kneel, right? One is when you propose, right? You know what the other one is? It's when you get your football picture taken. Got your helmet here, you got your football. That's it. That's the only time we kneel in our culture, right? And, and, and girls, I don't know that you ever kneel. The only time I've seen is like when there's a whole bunch of you in a picture and the front row kind of goes like this. I don't know why they do that. It looks awkward. I'm like, just kneel. Come on, right? Girls, I don't know that you ever kneel. In our culture, it's just very, very different. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> and I think that, that many of you have been surprised if we've, as we've talked about this. Many of you were surprised that the Bible says... We need to lift holy hands in worship. Well, the Bible also says that we're supposed to kneel down before God. And, and so in the Old Testament, they, they knew what, what kneeling was. Anytime someone who uh, was of greater importance was there, someone who had a higher authority, they would kneel down to them. And you better believe that when they saw an, an angel of God, they never could see God. They saw an angel of God. Every time in scripture, people fell down and they were very, very afraid because something from another world, something that was holy, that had no sin in it, showed up and it freaked them out. So these people understood that 
what it meant to bow. And, and if you read the, the Old Testament, you'll see that many times whenever God, even God's glory showed up at the, at the tent, the tabernacle where they would go to worship God, when his glory showed up, there were times that Moses could not enter the tent because the glory of God was so overpowering. There was one time that, that God came down to the mountain. They were at, at Mount Sinai. God comes down to the mountain and it says that lightning came and there was a cloud covered the mountain and it shook. And the people of Israel said, Oh, Moses, if we go into God's presence, we will die. And they said, we don't, he is so holy, so magnificent that, that you will bow when, when you see him. Now that understanding, look what the psalmist says in in Psalm 95, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. Now I want you to watch what the Lord says here, because I believe what he's about to say is the opposite of bowing down and worshiping. He says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. Those are two times that the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he almost destroyed them because they were hard-hearted, they were sinful. They refused to acknowledge that God was in charge and it almost cost them their lives. Now, you need to understand that this Hebrew word translated worship is the word shakah. And it's not to be confused with shakakan. I'm looking at you. you. You know what I'm talking about. Shameless 80s music reference. Um, you don't know what it is. You, you go and, and look that up. It's probably, no, don't even bother. It's not worth it. Shekah was used 170 times in the Bible. And it's translated in the English as worship. But see, what I love about the Hebrew, Hebrew is not just a word that you think of worship where we might think of going and singing or whatever, gathering... Hebrew always has a word picture. And when you said the word shakah to an Israelite, they would picture in their mind kneeling before God who is greater. That's the idea of worship. And 170 times in the scripture, we are told to shakah, to kneel, come before the Lord and bow before him. Now, one of the reasons that we don't bow is because we don't understand the holiness of God. There will be a day we'll understand, but we don't understand it here. Um, the Bible tells us that you would be unable to stand in God's presence. And, and in fact, I'm going to show you a scripture where, where God says you can't even see his face and live as a human being because we're sinful. He's holy. Whenever the Israelites had left Egypt, they had gotten to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain and he, he's there for 40 days when he gets the, the 10 commandments, the, the, the first tablets. And while he's there, the people said, Oh, Moses is gone. And so they, they have um, a party and they, they get all of this jewelry and they give it to Aaron and Aaron builds this, this calf, this golden calf. And they bow down and worship. And God says to Moses, you need to go back down because I'm going to destroy these people. So he goes back down, he gets mad, he throws the tablets down, you know, has all of this thing. And then God says, I am no longer going to walk with you because if I go with you, leading you to the promised land, I will destroy these people. And Moses says, God, if you're not going to go, I don't want to go. If you do not lead us, don't bother to send me either. And the Bible says, because Moses was, was close to God, God says, because you honor me, I'm going to do what you say and I'm going to go with you. And then, then in just after this whole thing, I think Moses was just kind of in the presence of God and, and he got caught up. Oh yay, God's going to go with us. And then he just kind of goes, show me your glory. Look what God says in verse 19 of Exodus 33. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose, but you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. 
Now, shortly after this time in the Old Testament, they, they, God told them to build something called the tabernacle. And all that was was a portable worship place. It was these big tents and they had several sections and it was very, very ornate, very, very elaborate. In the midst of it, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And the only person that could go there was the high priest one time a year. And it was on what we call the day of atonement. The English word is day of atonement. The, the Hebrew is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, I almost said that wrong. And and the reason you need to understand this is the Holy of Holies, the only time that the high priest could go in there was on the was Yom Kippur. And I told you that Hebrew has a word picture. The word picture for Yom Kippur is to ransom someone or to sacrifice something in its place. And so um you would offer a substitute on the Day of Atonement. And, and in the Old Testament, they would actually sacrifice animals. The, the blood of the animal was required to rescue the worshiper's blood. Does that make sense? So look what it says in, in Leviticus 17, 11. God is speaking to Israel and he says, For the life of the creatures in the blood, I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. That's that, that idea of Yom Kippur, that idea of sacrificing something innocent to pay for the one who's guilty. The blood of the innocent animal is, is spilled so that the guilty human can stand before a holy God. Now, in the New Testament, it says this in Hebrews 9.22. As Moses' teachings tell us, blood was used to cleanse almost everything because if no blood is shed, no sins can be forgiven. We're unholy because of sin. And I'm not guilty of sin because my parents sinned. I'm guilty of sin because I sin. You are guilty of sin because you sin. One of the reasons that we don't practice infant baptism here is we believe that a child has to get to the point that they understand who God is. When you come up and say, hey, my kid wants to accept Christ and wants to be baptized, we'll give you a little book that they need to work through because they need to understand that we are unholy. We are sinful. And the only way that you can come into the presence of God is if the innocent third party, Jesus Christ, spills his blood so that your sins can be forgiven. Now, here's an interesting thing. I I haven't found this. Maybe you have. I haven't found in scripture where God himself tells us to bow down to him. I think he understands that because he's holy and when we're in his presence, we will bow down. But what God does say is don't bow down to anything else. Have no other gods before me. Do not bow to idols. And then this psalmist says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. The whole purpose of this, this series is to teach you about a lifestyle of worship, not just worshiping on Sunday mornings. And I was thinking, what better time to talk about worship and, and to think about than at the birth of Jesus Christ during the holidays when we're celebrating that God loved the world so much that he became one of us? And he wasn't born in a palace. He was born really in probably a cave in a hole in the wall to symbolize that he came for the lowest of the low. So no matter what you've done, Jesus Christ came for you. And based on who he is and what he did, sometimes the only reasonable response is to bow, is to kneel before God, your maker. In, in March, um, Janie and I are going with my brothers and their spouses. We're going to go to Israel. We're going to spend two weeks in Israel. And, and one of the things I've read about that I can't wait to see is, is there's a little chapel that supposedly marks the birthplace of Christ that, that right behind that is the, is the cave where he was born. And they said, when you go from the chapel into the cave, that it's so low that you must stoop down in order to see where the Christ child was laid. Well, Max Lucado wrote about this and Max said, it's no different today. If you want to see the Christ child today, you must bow down. So I want to give you three instances where you need to bow. 
And then I'm going to give you an opportunity as I play a, a worship video. I'm going to give you an opportunity to bow either here, bow at your seats, and physically to say that one greater than you is here. One greater than you are is alive and you want to follow him. So the first reason you need to kneel is when you are seeking. You need to bow when you're seeking God. <clears throat> There's a story of your rich young ruler. Many of you've heard it. I've taught it before, but I've never actually given this uh, twist on it. Let me read you verse uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and then I'll tell you about it. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the story. Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. Oh, I've kept the commandments. And then he says, you need to go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says that the, the rich man walked away sad because he was very, very rich. And Jesus wasn't saying that all of us need to give away everything. That's not what he was saying. He was saying that this young man, although he got the physical kneeling on the outside right, he missed the kneeling in the heart. He was worshiping his money. And, and Jesus said, there's something in between me and you. You want to know what it is? It's the fact that you worship money. Too many people run into the presence of God. They make demands of God. And then they get mad when he doesn't answer their, their requests on their timetable. And, and I don't know if you've noticed. I never noticed the man's posture before. I have noticed that too many people literally use the word literally incorrectly. Have you noticed that? Let me use it correctly for you. This man ran up. He literally fell on his knees before Jesus as a sign that a spiritual guide, one greater than him, was there. And he wanted to ask him a question. He literally fell to his knees. If only he'd gotten the heart right. He got the physical posture right. He didn't get the inside right. Some of you, some of you are... are not committed followers of Christ, and you know it. You believe in God, but he's not your boss. You're not a fully devoted follower of Christ. No one would ever accuse you of that. Some of you aren't even sure that there is a God, and if there is a God, how does Jesus follow into this, and what about other religions? Well, if that's you, welcome. We're, we're glad you're here, but let me just say, we didn't celebrate Muhammad's birthday on December 25th. The calendar is not split in two B.C. and A.D. for Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Charles Taz Russell. It's split in two before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, because something happened a little over 2,000 years ago that was so remarkable that it changed everything. So even if you don't know if this Jesus is real, I'm going to encourage you to bow down before him. Do like the rich young ruler. You can bow down and you say, God, I don't even know if you're there. I don't know if you're real, but if you are, I got some questions. That's a great place to start. And really the best thing that you could ever do if you're a seeker, if you've not followed Jesus yet, is to bow down and say, God, if you're real, show me. And you better get ready. Because the Bible says that when you draw near to God, God draws near to you and he will rock your world. And there are several hundred stories of how God rocked our worlds when we were lost and then he found us. The reason we started this church is because we think that, that it's unacceptable that someone far from God should not be able to hear about God in a way that they can understand. 
when you pray, get ready because this is a great place to start and it's a great place to, to, uh, start seeking God. So the first reason is you bow when you are seeking answers, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, if you're seeking answers, you bow down. There's another reason that you need to bow down and it's in repentance. Repentance means to change your mind so that you can change your actions. And so every sin starts in the mind. You have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is what it says in second Corinthians 10. Even followers of Christ do things from time to time that break the heart of God and mess up my life. Or I do something that messes up your life. It's what we do. And Christmas is like a magnifier. You know, this we've talked about this, that if life is good, Christmas is good. If life is bad, Christmas is bad. And if you've done something to hurt somebody in your family, the last thing you want to do is get together and party with them. Right? It magnifies the fact that your relationships are jacked up. And if you refuse to make those relationships right, your heart becomes hard and you drift further and further away from God. Luke chapter 5 gives us a great picture of kneeling in repentance. Now, you know about Peter, he was a fisherman and, um, he had been fishing all night and didn't catch a single fish and they were washing and mending their nets and Jesus starts teaching and a crowd comes up and it says that the crowd pushed on him so much that he's, he's, uh, stepping back towards the water. He looks and he sees Peter's boat and he hops in Peter's boat. He said, push out just a little ways. So he pushes out a little ways and he begins teaching the crowd. When he finishes teaching the crowd, he says to Peter, let's put out into, into deep water and let's cast your nets. Now, what did I just tell you that Peter had done all night long? fished and what did he caught? If, if you're Peter and you're a professional fisherman and a carpenter comes along, aren't you thinking, why don't you build me a table and I'll fish, right? I'm just saying. And I think that's what he meant. It's not what's recorded in scripture, but look what he says in Luke chapter five, verse five, master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, it's kind of like, you know, when you're telling your kid to do something and they don't really want to do it and they're going, okay, if you make me, that's what he's like. If you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you grudgingly, like you and I and your kids and when you were a kid, grudgingly he did what he was told. And when he got an unexpected result, he looks at Jesus and he goes, I didn't realize who you were. He falls to his knees and he says, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. I'm a sinful man. That's repentance. And here's the good news. Jesus never, ever turns away someone who repents. When a sinner falls to their knees, Jesus wraps his arms around them and welcomes them. I don't care who you are, what you've done, or how recently you've done it. You need to be in the presence of God, kneeling in repentance and saying, God, I've messed up. And when you do that, he will come and wrap his arms around you. Peter falls on his knees in repentance. And then Jesus says, from now on, you're not just going to fish for fish. You're going to become a fisher of men. And, and I have to say this, and I'll only say it once, and I'll never use this again, but there is a version of this passage for single ladies. It's the NIV. And, and it says, um, don't be afraid. This is for single ladies only. From now on, you will catch men. Maybe it'll work for you. I don't know. I don't know. Never again. Sorry. That was really bad. 
I need to kneel and confess that, Lord. I've sinned against you and against single women. Please forgive me. <laughs> Scripture teaches us that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When my mom was alive, mom loved Christmas. Mom played in a piano for 60-some-odd years, played piano in a church uh, or organ in a church for 60-some-odd years, and, and that was really special, playing organ. But anyway... Um, one of her favorite songs was Oh Holy Night. And she would want me to sing it a lot and I would have to sing it different places. And if there were times I sang it at her church, her little church. And um, there's a part of it, you know, it says, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And then it gets to the chorus and the chorus says, Fall on your knees. Hear the angels' voices, O night divine, O night divine. Some of you need to do that. You need to fall on your knees and say, I have messed up. And when you do that, God will draw near to you. And you may want to stay on your knees when you do that and and just worship him because he's a loving God and he'll never, ever leave you. So some of you are going to kneel because you're seeking answers from God. Some of you are going to kneel in repentance. There's a third one. Some of you need to kneel in submission. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're going to kneel down and say, God, you're greater. I'm not. But some of you, there's an area of your life that you've been controlling and you've said, God, you can't go there. You've opened up your heart, but there's a room or two that you say, no, 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 you can't go there. That's padlocked. And God says, I'm not your Lord unless I have access to all of your life. So some of you need to give up today. Um, how many of you watch UFC? I used to watch it all the time and then, then we just quit. So if y'all want to start again, just let me know and we'll start rotating around. We've watched it, John's and watched it at my house. But, but UFC is Ultimate Fighting Championship and, and it's MMA, mixed martial arts. And, and so they have this thing called tapping out. Y'all know what tapping out is? It's when, it's when the other dude, yeah, thank you. Matthew's got it back. He's back there tapping. Thanks, Matthew. Um, so it's when somebody has you in a hold. Could be in a jujitsu hold, could be in something like that. So you can't get out and something bad about to happen. Carrie and Miranda. Anyway, some of you get that later. You tap and that sig- you tap three times. One, two, three. That means I give up. Well, George came and, and did a self-defense class last, last spring. And this, this was fun. And if you didn't do it, Justin's already grinning. Um, this was a lot of fun. He taught our wives and our daughters to be crazy women. If anybody ever attacks you. And he taught them some moves and he taught them, one of the things he taught was the rear naked choke where you come behind. And so of course he had to demonstrate it on the dudes. And so he's like, come here, Doug. And so he wraps his arm around me and, and I'm telling you, it was about two seconds and I was tapping, stop it. You know, every one of us, Justin did it, Michael Thatcher did it. We all were tapping because we knew something bad about to happen. You're about to pass out, right? And so he taught the ladies how to do this. And, and even he, he showed me one where you pull in up here and he did this thing on my throat and I tapped in two seconds. And, and that night, I, what I do is on Saturdays, I, I go, I get up Saturday morning and I go through my sermon four or five times. And then right before I go to bed, I go through it again twice, you know, and it's just what I do. I get up on Sunday morning, go through it a couple more times Well, I'm sitting in my chair and I swallow and I'm like, dude, I'm getting a sore throat. And I sat there and I went. George. <laughs> it was. It was the side that he had crushed with his hand. And, and I'm just going to tell you, after this class, I got no problem tapping out. I should have tapped out sooner. I wouldn't have had a sore throat. 
Now, I have watched UFC where idiots don't tap. I watched a guy get his arm snapped, and they do it in slow motion. They go, snap, because he wouldn't tap out. And they're going, he's so tough. And I'm going, he's an idiot. He's got a broken arm. Or they'll, they'll, they'll hold the, the rear naked choke, or one of the chokes, there's all the different chokes. They'll hold it, and, and it'll be so bad that you can't tell if the dude's still conscious or not. So the, the referee will go over, and he'll pick up the arm. And if the arm goes he's out and it, it, the, the thing's over and they're going, man, he's so tough. He didn't tap. I'm like, he's an idiot because he didn't tap. Some of you are just like that with God. I ain't tapping. I'm not letting him have access to that in my life. I like this too much. He can't have it. Then he's not your Lord. Real simple. Boss means he says it, you do it. You say no, he's not your Lord. No Lord are two words that cannot be in a Christian's vocabulary. You with me? And here's something else. You may not have ever realized. Jesus Christ, you know this part, he was the greatest person who ever lived. Did you know he tapped? He was born, we we celebrate that. He lived a a perfect life. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he knows that the cross is coming. He's asked his his followers to pray with him and they fall asleep and he gets on them. You know, this happened several times. He says, could you not watch for an hour? And he goes back and he prays. He sweats drops of blood. You remember what he prayed? Look at it in Luke chapter 22, verse 41. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not my will. I want your will, not mine. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus Christ tapped to the will of his father. If he submitted, how much more do you and I need to submit? Some of you need to pray today. Not my will, but your will be done. It's the hardest prayer you'll ever pray, but it's the one that makes you most like Jesus Christ. And let me give you two other things before I play you a video. Kneeling to pray is often what gives you the strength to stand. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for here's our God. And here's one last secret. You can kneel now or you'll kneel later, but you're going to kneel. Let me show you where this comes from in Philippians chapter 2. Says he, meaning Jesus, humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. You're going to bow. Makes so much more sense to bow now when you have a choice than when you don't. I'm going to play you a video It's Christian Stanfield, My Heart is Yours. I love this song. It's one of them that I want us to work on uh, the band to to do in the fall. I want you to listen to the words of the song. And you may need to to kneel right where you are. You may want to come up and kneel here. But I'm just asking you, as, as God moves your heart, kneel somewhere in worship to the one who is worthy. Go ahead, Travis.
Isn't that worship? Didn't we we just worship? Why do we not do that on a weekly basis? I give you the freedom to worship God however he moves you to. If you need to sit down, you sit down. If you clap, you clap. If you raise your hands, if you need to kneel, we need to get caught up in who God is. The wise men traveled hundreds of miles. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They came into the house, they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened up their treasures and gave him the best. That should be a weekly occurrence at New Life Community Church. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Oh, God. Thank you that every once in a while we get just a little glimpse of heaven where we're in the midst of life on earth. And it never gets old.
I love gathering with these people week in and week out. Lifting up the name of Jesus. Proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ in an understandable way. And trusting you to kind of mix it all together. Our lives, the message, the music, the videos. And to do something so majestic that you can show people for eternity. What a great God you are. Because you save someone like Doug Washburn. You save someone like Timmy Quick. You save someone like Greg Verretto. You've healed our hearts. You've healed marriages. And we just want to see you do it over and over and over again. And so we just lay our lives, our church, our hearts before you. And we say we want 2016 to be better than anything we've experienced before at New Life. And we can only do that if you're in charge. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.